Today on How I Scale My Team, we have a very interesting guest, Segev Varon, Senior Director of Engineering and Head of Israel R&D Center for SAGE. Hey, Segev, great hey, to have Segev. you here. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so before we dive in, uh, Segev, can you give us kind of a short uh, you know, um, background about yourself, summary, who you are, what you've done so far, and what are you currently doing? Yeah, sure. So I've been in professional software development for 18 years, uh, out of which the last 11 years in leadership roles. Sage is my fifth company. I started my career as a software engineer in a startup um, that was later on acquired by NetApp. Then following the XIV acquisition, I moved to IBM. Um, in my last role before Sage, I led the R&D center of MediaKind that was also based on the local acquisition. And for the last year and a half, I lead the Sage R&D Center in Tel Aviv, which is also based on acquisition of two uh, local startups. How many people work uh, at Sage in Israel? 36 currently. Cool. All engineering? Uh, most of them. Most of them engineer. We also have some product roles, a uh, few data scientists, uh, QA, um, a little bit operations. But uh, the R&D Center is mostly uh, comprised of engineers. Uh, before we dive uh, deeper, is, uh, Maybe a few words about Sage. What is Sage? Yeah, sure. So Sage is a global market leader in uh, cloud business uh, solutions um, for many, many millions of uh, SMBs. Um, it really helps them to manage their businesses, you know, especially the finance, operations, uh, and people sides of uh, the business. Cool. Segev, so you have got kind of a thing going on here throughout your career, either, uh, you know, working for um, companies that have been acquired or working for a company that acquires uh, other companies. How was that for you? How did it impact um, your leadership or the way you manage or? Yeah, so it's definitely an experience. I, I would even go and say that uh, in, in many ways, it's a character building experience um, because those companies are huge. Right, you need to understand that Sage has more than 12,000 employees. When I joined IBM, they had more than 400,000 employees. Right, that's yeah, it's that, crazy numbers. That's really, really <laughs> huge. And, and it's very, very different than in a small startup when everyone knows everyone else, right? And that transition, especially for leaders, is very not intuitive because as a leader, you find yourself after an acquisition um, needing to navigate through this organizational or human maze, if you will, uh, which can be quite tiresome. But having said that, I think that once you understand what you need to do and you are successful in doing the right team, the right thing for your team, for the company and for you, um, that could be a very nice sense of accomplishment, which is extremely powerful. So, uh, you know, I've been through a few acquisitions in my career. Uh, I think I've been acquired twice. I've joined an acquired company once. Um, and I've been involved in acquiring about, uh, I'd say, 10 different companies uh, in my career. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'd say that uh, statistics is about 80%. Uh, I don't know, fail, right? Fail is a big word, but aren't really what you expected it to become. And uh, so in your perspective, because you've seen it happen, uh, you know, when a startup or a company gets acquired by, by a global company or a bigger company, uh, what are the main things that, um, A, the acquired company, can do to assure it's it's a successful acquisition um, um, and to get it right and what can the acquiring company or do or should do in order to make sure they actually see the right returns so one thing that that many companies do immediately uh, as and this is something very common is adjusting compensation right so um, 
automatically, uh, as soon as the uh, acquisition uh, uh, becomes uh, valid, then doing a good global compensation for everyone across the board, lateral salary increase of 10%. Uh, this is something very common and it sends a very good message uh, for the entire team. Now we are part of a global company uh, with, the, with a strong financial backing. Um, and in a way it, it sends that, uh, it demonstrate that financial with them for the team, right? Uh, and this is something very good. However, uh, there are companies that stops there and and not not asking what happens next and i think that that as leaders we and as and actually as human beings we we really suffer from the status quo bias sometimes we fail to understand the magnitude of a change when it occurs right we saw it in covid we, we saw it every day we saw it from time to time uh and and acquisition is a is something that is really big change for a company. Um, and because we fail to understand that magnitude of the change, we don't prepare properly. And what you can see is actually a very common pattern. You can uh, look at it at stages, right? I think there is uh, three stages of, of an acquisition. There is the honeymoon period. Uh, that's the first stage, uh, maybe six to six months to a year when everyone, everyone is passionate, everyone is really happy about everything. But then comes the second year, which I call the toxic year. Right, that's where you can see behaviors like uh, rest and vest kicks in, um, and and then you can create, you can see some tension between veterans and new hires, and that is a very risky period because then sometimes wrong behavior behaviors uh, appear, and they, if you don't handle them properly, they may become embedded in the team's DNA, which is something you want to avoid of. Um, and that's a, that's the second phase. The third phase is actually what I call the phase of chaos and reorganization, because uh, in many cases the veterans left. Uh, probably some of all, all all of the leaders also left, and 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 uh, it's not very clear always that what's the glue that binds all those pieces together. So the way I see this, um, and you mentioned DNA there, um, I think one of the uh, prominent things that companies get wrong, by the way, on both sides, the acquiring company and the acquired company, is um, that you went through a massive change and the type of people that work well in large corporates are not the type of people that work well in startup companies, not necessarily. And going through this transition, there's, there's, there's this expectation that everyone adjusts immediately. Now, um, it doesn't happen. I've been acquired uh, back in 2006. Um, Ramin was still in uh, junior high, maybe. Um, and he loves to I do love it. it. He it, loves it, to it do makes it. Me feel, it makes me feel young. When I'm with Romy on these podcasts, I feel like I'm coming to reserve duty. Um, and but, but the essence is I've been acquired into HP, and HP back then was you know, 160, 200,000 people a company. We got acquired. Mercury was 3,000. And I remember um, you know, a couple of months after the, the closing, we had like the day off, you know, of making it official, changing the logo on the building and all that crap. Um, and and I remember the day and, and someone from HP, I don't remember, uh, I think it was Tom Hogan. He was kind of the head of the business unit back then, um, kind of put on the on, on the presentation. It's like, what's the difference between Mercury and what you'd expect now? It was Mercury, execution, focus, uh, connected to the mission, HP, work-life balance. <laughs> And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're saying, uh, you know, I'm in my late 20s. Shit, do I, 
I'm not looking for work-life balance. I'm looking for execution. I'm looking for being attached to the goal. And I think that around the acquisition time, post-acquisition, you got to differentiate your uh, missionaries from your mercenaries. The mercenaries are going to leave. They're going to go to the next thing. They're going to find their next, you know, where they're going to make more money. The missionaries are going to stick to execution, um, but it changes completely which type of company you're building. And the new people you're going to hire going to be different people absolutely they're going to be less risk averse and so forth absolutely and and i think it also you know understanding that very important thing that you said we requires managing it properly right when you understand that this is a situation you need to prepare in advance and you need to uh, uh for example everything regarding knowledge management right this is something that many leaders understand that they need to take care of so what what's the first thing they do they give retention bonuses right Uh, but you, you can't stop there because retention bonuses will take you, you know, that far. Uh, as soon as you do that, you need to start hiring uh, other people, you know, new hires that, that will fill those, those gaps. Not now. They will fill the gap maybe in six months, maybe in one year, but you have to bring them on board um, as soon as possible during the honeymoon period, if you will. Taking all this and, and you know, thinking about maybe, I don't know, Tomorrow morning, next year, in a few months, Sage, you know, acquires a new startup, a new company, and you have all that experience with you. Um, what would be kind of the, the golden things that you say to the, to the company that's going to be acquired, to the leadership? What do they need to take care of in advance? Because we all know that if you prepare well in advance, if things are kind of structured already before this entire um, roller coaster, things can look better. And the statistics of, you know, what Chahal talked about, Um, can be more positive. So what would that be? Kind of the crucial things to take care of in advance? Obviously, there are many things, but let's touch on some of them. So the first one, as we just talked about, is knowledge management, right? Um, I think that leaders should adopt a strategy that removes any single point of failures in terms of knowledge. Anyone should be replaceable. And I mean anyone from the CEO till the last team member. Um, anyone should be replaceable, uh, replaceable for many obvious reasons. Uh, but there is one that is uh, often overlooked, and which is, if that's not the case, you may find yourself tolerating inappropriate behavior. Because sometimes you can find yourself very dependent in a key talent, and you don't have anyone to replace him. Hire fast during the honeymoon period. Enable yourself as a leader and leave the decision about separation in your hands. Uh, and by doing so, you minimize the toxicity and you make everything uh, easier. So, so knowledge management is definitely one thing. Um, second, I think maybe something less intuitive is relationships. In the startup, everyone has those you know, titles, right? I'm CEO, CTO, vice president of you name it. Uh, but once you are being acquired, all of a sudden, Uh, there are others that are important, right? There are more senior people around you and you have to understand your new place and you have to accept it and stay modest, uh, which is true, by the way, to individuals, but also uh, for teams because those start, the startup team, uh, they really used to feel like they are very smart. They just nailed it, right? They've been acquired. They are very successful and they tend to think sometimes that they are the only smart people in the room. Uh, but guess what? Uh, you are now part of a large corporate. There are some smart people there as well. You have to build that trust with the, other, with the rest of the organization and don't stay to work in a silo because 
in order to be successful in a big uh, corporation, you have to work in collaboration. You have to create that trust. You have to create a setup where others will say good things about you and will, and will want to work with you. Uh, so for the sake of your team, in the sake of your organization, make friends. The last one, I think it's probably the most, uh, maybe the most interesting one, is product strategy. In a startup, the product is everything, right? It's the product is the center of gravity of, the, of your startup. But after an acquisition, you need to stop thinking about your own product and your own brand as a standalone and try to see how you bring value uh, to the rest of your organization. So if, if in the startup days, your product and your brand is, is the, the king, I would say that in the uh, corporate, there's a new sheriff now in town, which is corporate strategy. And you need to shift the way you think. Instead of bottom up, you need to think top down. Take the corporate strategy and look for opportunities, how you can bring value, how your team can bring value uh, that serves that corporate strategy. I think it was Aristo who said the all is bigger than some of its part. Uh, in corporate and after an acquisition, it's very, very true. You need to find those areas when one plus one is equal three and bring that value. It's an interesting part, you know, um, when you talk about Aristo and, and some of all parts. Um, I used to say the biggest difference between startups and large corporates, um, uh, startups are like fighter jets. They need to move fast, they need to maneuver fast, they need to accelerate, and, you know, they have the killer instinct. Um, corporates are like, you know, 747, right? They move slow, they, 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 they have a lot more capacity, but they're not trying anything, anything significant. Um, the biggest difference is, you know, if a fighter jet loses its engine, it crashes. If a 747 loses its engines, all four engines, it can still go for hundreds of miles um, just with the momentum that, that's being gathered. And so, um, so I, I agree with you. You're absolutely correct. So do you think it is inevitable that acquired companies are always going to be assimilated into larger companies? You know, the brand, the mission. Uh, should that always be the goal? I wouldn't say always. I think first and, first and foremost, this is a business question. I think that if it makes sense uh, business-wise, then you shouldn't uh, combine those two brands on or lose one of the brands. So, so for example, Broadcom just announced that they are going to acquire VMware, right? I don't think they're going to change the brand. They're my probably going to keep My heart's broken because of that. <laughs> As someone who worked for VMware, uh, which is an amazing company, amazing DNA, even when we I were uh, valued at $40 billion, but we survived DMC. Somehow they survived Dell. I think Broadcom, unfortunately. I, um, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the last <laughs> comment. But I don't see them. I don't see them killing the brand, right? They're probably gonna keep the brand uh, because it's a very strong one. But but again, it's a business question. I think that for any other aspect of all other aspect, one brand is better. Uh, it's better because you're gonna have uh, to deal with marketing budgets, right? And it's easier to market uh, one brand rather than two. And maybe now, just after the acquisition, uh, the, the corporate still agrees to give you some budget for marketing, for separate marketing. But in two, three years, that's not necessarily be the case. And, and as I mentioned earlier, you don't want to be an outlier in a bigger organization. You want to work together. It's also, by the way, important. I'm not sure. For, wait, wait. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to counter that <laughs> for a second. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Because no, again, um, you know, VMware is a good example. VMware has been acquired by EMC. Um, I, I was there at the time. And I think that no one at VMware felt a part of EMC besides the leadership team. And um, I, I think there's someone, once you assimilate the brand into the global corporate, 
then the type of people you're going to pull in are going to be corporate people. And then it's a self-fulfilling, you know, prophecy. And I think once, once you get down that path, if you want to keep that killer instinct, fast moving company, you're creating a new category like EMC did with VMware and they did with RSA and, and other acquisitions as well, then you have the advantage of owning the value, keeping the relationship, keeping it close until it's time, but still recruiting people with the killer instinct and the, and the small company startup mentality. And so I, I really think it to your to your comment, it really depends on the business strategy. Do we think it's still its own category that can run for a while? Or do we think it needs to be close to heart and then something else? Correct. It also depends on the size, right? Vimeo was huge when already when, when they were acquired. Um, Red Hat and IBM is another uh, example for that. Uh, but if we talk about um, startups of... 10 people, 20 people, maybe even 100 people. What you just said may work for the short term, but in the long term, you want the new hires to be part of that uh, new company. We want them to feel belong to the new company. Just take, for example, hiring and retention, right? Um, do you think that most corporate will give you uh, budgets for employer branding, for example, for that uh, legacy brand? Sometimes maybe, sometimes maybe, but, but in most cases, uh, they will prefer to have one brand and budget only that one brand. I agree with you. When it's a small company, it's a tuck-in, you know, 10, 20, 50 people company. It's early days, early days of product market fit, no brand uh, equity out there. So it makes sense to embrace it uh, very early. I'm, I'm aligned with you on that. Correct. So Sega, we were going to shift a bit, you know, talk about, you know, a little bit more kind of uh, about retention and and you talked about a little bit, you mentioned the word belongingness and, and culture. And I want to ask, you, you know, workforce revolution is out there. We all we talked about it in our first conversation. Uh, it was practical and kind of on a philosophical kind of level. How do you react to it? You know, today, um, hiring best engineers, hiring best talents um, with everything that is going on out there. Um, what's your take on it? How, do, how are you reacting to this workforce revolution? Everyone talks about hiring. I think, first of all, retention is the key, right? You have to start with retention. Same like uh, in customers, treat, treat your employees like you treat your customers, right? Uh, uh, keeping your current customers is much easier and cheaper than acquiring new, new customers. Same goes for, empl for uh, employees. Uh, so retention is definitely key. Um, Sage globally has been experimenting with multiple new ways of working. Uh, it puts lots of focus on flexibility, flexibility on location, flexibility on time, uh, allowing colle uh, colleagues to choose between remote office, hybrid, uh, allowing people to work uh, for 10 weeks uh, in other countries. Um, but they also did something really nice, uh, which I like, which is they... Uh, allowed flexibility for local leaders uh, to do what they find best for their team. And uh, one thing that we did here locally is we are experimenting now in Tel Aviv with a four-day workweek pilot, uh, which is also, by the way, hybrid. So two days from the office and two days remote. Uh, and this is something that is working. We, we've just started, but so far it's working very nice for us. How does that work? Do people have longer four days? I mean, do the four days yeah. longer? Or is it just the same, you know, a few hours of just, just less? You, you kind of gave up on 20% production. Or not. <laughs> not necessarily. So we don't work harder. We, we are working more efficiently. So there is no change in salaries or benefit, no change in the amount of work. Uh, 
is just changing the way you work so it allows you to be more efficient so wait 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 no, wait, wait. <laughs> i'll take a step back right we're, sure we're, go ahead none of us are Challenge none me. of us are extremely young here so we've been around the block once or twice it's like when you cut off 25 percent of time 20 percent of time sorry you got to make up for it one way or the other right and so either you know people are making you know another 30 minutes or an hour a day or something along that line or you're it's like otherwise there's a there up until now, there was a complete waste of one to two hours at the office or at home every day. I mean, somewhere you either have been completely inefficient so far or you gave up on production now. When we announced it, the first thing we said is exactly what you said. We talked with, with the team and we said, if we just cut one day, that will not hold water. We need, we need to do something different. And we actually, as, uh, as leaders like to do, we asked the team, what they think they could they could do better in order to save that time and in order to keep the same productivity uh, in one less day, and we came up with a list of things. Uh, for example, some of the dailies that we used to have, like a daily meetings, like daily meetings, they moved to to be every other day. Uh, other meetings were cancelled. Uh, some of them were shortened. Uh, for example, one thing that is working very nice for us is we added we determined three hours of the day between two and five uh, that are uh, quiet hours, like uh, no Slack, no phone calls. Everyone takes a nap. <laughs> <laughs> or shut down the Slack. Exactly. Shut down Slack, no Slack, no phone calls, uh, just async communication. But honestly, Segev, we, we, we're going to be honest. Does that actually work? For three hours, you know, somebody needs something, they ask on Slack. An engineer needs a question, they ask on Slack. You know, it, it, it's it's not you know it can't be you know strong. so there are exceptions know, maybe, of, yeah, co- of maybe. course there are exceptions and by the way i still we still don't know if it's if it, if it's going to work right we've just started it we have been doing that for two months it feels that it's okay but we we determined from the get-go that we're going to take one year to decide if we want to keep it or not. Uh, because for, for example, it can be very successful in the first uh, few months, right? Because everyone is so passionate about it and want it to be successful. But the question is, would it hold for, you know, for the long run? Uh, and we have our KPIs and we are looking at them and I'm sure it's gonna turn out very positively. You know, uh, first of all, kudos on, on taking the initiative. I think it's- Yeah, it's and a, taking a chance. No, no it's a blessing. Yeah. Uh, you know, with all the sarcasm that I hold, I, I, I think it's a great initiative. You know, there are challenges like, you know, leaders have to work, you know, U.S. time zone is an example. You're in Israel. It's like, what do you do on the, I don't know. That's why, that's why we took time. Sunday, by the way. Okay. We, we moved Sunday. My fear there, if it's not well managed, because, you know, I had this case uh, back when I was at Kenshu. We had uh, some of the offices in the U.S. We had like, you know, Friday work from home mentality. Okay, work from home. This is before everyone mm-hmm. worked from home all the time. And, you know, time goes by uh, and people work from home. And then... Um, one of the visits to the Chicago office, we spoke to the admin there and kind of, you know, our things are going and, she, and she's, and she said, you know, I love working here. And I love the fact that Fridays are off. They're like, Fridays <laughs> aren't off. She joined into a culture where it's like, no one joined up at the office on Friday, but no one called her initially on Friday. So she kind of understood Fridays are off. And that became the new norm. We kind of realized it became the norm. No one's really working for Friday. I actually heard one day when I was driving uh, down 101 in California, um, on, on the radio, it's like no one really works from home. You pretend to work from home, <laughs> and and it's like how do you find the fine line between? It's like you know this is a benefit to this is the norm to you know 
I'm, I'm kind of doing my yeah. no, but this is exactly this what this period is all about. You know, the, absolutely. You know, the relationships, the trust, mm-hmm. um, transparency, making sure that everything is managed, and you know, but with the flexibility yeah. and making people, you know. Yeah, Shachal, well, you, just, you just mentioned a, a something, a sentence that uh, was very common two years ago, right? No one really works from home. But if you say today, <laughs> it sounds crazy because we, we, everyone, we just proved ourselves that working from home is effective and it is doable and it's, it's the new normal in many ways. By the way, I think that one of the, the changes that I think were really effective, um, even you know, two, three years ago, I said when... People are working from home on Friday. It's Friday for to run errands. When you work the entire week from home, you can't hide it. You're working from home. Exactly. Because if you don't work the entire week, people will notice it. <laughs> it's exactly. So yeah. at some point, it becomes wor- <laughs> you really are working from home. So second, when you look at your team and, and kind of the entire company, um, what do you think is the, you know, the primary the, f- the value that makes you and the people um, engage and want to stick around at Sage post-acquisition? I think that there's, I, I wouldn't say there's one thing. Obviously, it's a combination of many, many factors. Um, you know, those those basic things like uh, career development, uh, sense of importance, emotional safety, all the things that we talk about uh, in many other uh, conversations. But I think that is, there is one more thing that recently we started to see more and more, and it becomes more and more important, which is uh, the sense of belonging. Um, I think that these days, uh, when it's so easy to replace uh, your job, right? I, I don't think there's there has never been a time in history when it was that easier for tech employees to switch jobs. Just one delivery guy comes, take the old Mac, another delivery guy comes, bring you your new Mac, and that's it, right? You use it the same tools, the same Slack, you even push your code to GitHub. Uh, so what's left? What's, what makes the difference between one company to another. And I think the one thing that a new uh, employer can give you right away is that sense of belonging. This is something you need to work on. Um, and, and this is something that, that we are putting lots of focus on recently. So what does that mean? How do managers today and team leaders create that sense of belongingness? Um, what do you do? Or like from a sage level, from your level? Uh, so first of all, we talked earlier about the difference between startup and, and corporate, right? So I think that in startups, by the way, it's much, much easier to keep that sense of belonging because everyone has a very clear goal that they're after. But I think first you need to do the same. It is possible to do that in a corporate as well. So you have to align what you do to the strategy and always make sure to communicate that and demonstrate to the team how we are part of that strategy. Uh, And also those basic things like um, managers that need to make sure that they talk with their employees on a daily basis, they understand their lives, understand the needs, understand what they are doing. Um, And I think one more thing that is very important and excuse me, Gen Zs now, face-to-face interaction. Uh, these boomers still appreciate face-to-face interaction. Uh, we, uh, we come to the office twice a week, and I think it's very important because at the end of the day, uh, as, as much as we are still f- effective at home, I think those face-to-face interactions are really important. And, and every company should find you know, what works best for them. Uh, for, for some, it can be twice a week. For others, it can be off-site every other month. Um, those are the main things that I see. 
I don't think I heard that many um, engineer leaders talk about sense of belongingness and the importance of it. So yeah, but I think Segev is not an engineering leader; he manages the site. Yeah, so no, I mean, but like you know, as a tech, you know, leader and somebody that has been kind of an engineer, might you know, it's it's it's. Well, it, it was supposed to be a compliment, Shaha. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to one small thing that I remember that you said before, and, and I really want to make sure we, we kind of touch on that. Um, you talked about, you know, toxic environment or toxic culture uh, when kind of this merge of two um, companies together and what can kind of happen when people are maybe happy about the acquisition, people can be less happy about the acquisition. Um, what, like, what would you say that a manager or a leader has to do at that point? Because as you said, it can be toxic if people that maybe don't want to be at that position anymore continue to be um, as part of the team. Yeah, so it starts with what Shahar said earlier. Uh, there are different uh, type of people. Absolutely, it's not going to work for everyone. And you need to understand that. As, and we as we mentioned, we need, you need to manage that. So if we go back to what we talked earlier about knowledge management, if you enable yourself as leader uh, to make the decisions that you want to make and you allow yourself to uh, do a separation when this is the right thing to do, then that's the key. Okay, and you don't you don't have to be afraid of it because you once you take care of single point of failures and you don't have those single point of failures in in terms of knowledge, uh, then you can make the separations very uh, easily um, and just keep the environment healthy, uh, which is good by the way for the team and for those uh, veterans that you separate off. Cool. Well, Segev, listen, this has been a pleasure. But before I let you go, last question. Um, that we ask all everyone that comes on our podcast. If you had to choose one piece of advice to give uh, other leaders, managers, engineering or not, um, on how to build their team, what would that be? So choosing one is hard. Um, I'll give something that um, I can talk about from my personal perspective. So I play tennis. And today I, I do that uh, solely for fun. But as a kid, I played competitive tennis. And despite its very elegant reputation, if you think about it, tennis is uh, just a graceful flavor of Hunger Games, right? It's a zero-sum game. You either win or lose. No other option. And at the beginning of my career, I played tennis in the office. Okay? And I definitely stepped some other toes. And uh, that's something that I learned not to do anymore. Um, work is, is team sports. And you need, as we said earlier, build relationships, collaborate with others, help others to achieve their goals as well. Um, and if you like to play tennis like me, keep it to the tennis court. Keep it to the court. I love it. Uh, so thank you, Segev, so much. It was really great having you. Uh, and good luck on the four-day kind of week pilot. Uh, we you. will come back to this in a few months and see how it goes. Sounds good. Uh, and to all of our listeners, thank you for being here. And don't forget to subscribe. And Shaha, thank you for always being here. Thanks for having me. Segev, great having you here. Thanks, Segev. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Bye-bye.